0: If you're here for the first time, we are so uh, thankful you decided to worship with us today. We really hope and pray uh, that New City, this, our, our gathered people, would be, uh, as we gather here, your, your, your heart and your soul and your faith would be restored and refreshed week after week. And today, we're, we're continuing back in Ephesians chapter 1, looking at five more verses. We're going to look at f- verses 15 to 19 in Ephesians 1 that immediately follows Paul praising the Lord Uh, Showing us over and over again all the blessings that we have when we are in Christ, Uh, and today we'll see Paul move from praise to prayer. You know, today is all about prayer, and it might not be what we first think when we think of prayer. You know, we'll see uh, what we'll see that Paul is praying for these churches and really just praising God for them. Uh, But what we'll notice is that Paul isn't praying for anything external, but rather uh, internal. Paul's praise that we've looked at in Ephesians chapter 1, seeing all that we have when we are in Christ, seeing our blessings and our inheritance and all that comes with God, have moved Paul to pray that these churches would move from awareness of it to actually get these ideas deep down into their heart and soul. And just to look at, just look at the first phrase in verse 15. Paul says, for this reason which shows us that all that Paul is about to say is building off of what he just said in verses 3 to 14, which we've covered the past few weeks. And as we've seen over the past three weeks, Paul has said a lot about who we are when we are in Christ because of the gospel. He said a lot about our gospel identity. We've seen we're no longer sinners, but saints. We're considered holy and blameless. We've seen that we're chosen before the foundation of the world. We're adopted by God, given a purpose that works towards his good plan. We're forgiven, we're lavished, with his grace. We're given the helper of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there are so many blessings that we have seen week after week as people who believe in Jesus that we've seen in Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul, he's been bursting with praise about these incredible truths that we've seen. And now, again, like, as we've said, he's moved to pray, which we'll see is the proper response when we hear of these incredible truths. And so what do we do? We, we pray that we would believe these things We pray as a collective people, the church, that these incredible truths would move from our head to our heart. That we wouldn't just have mental awareness of these rich truths, but that we would actually be changed by them, leading us to our main idea. Our gospel identity leads the church to pray. You know, over the past few weeks, I think it's fair to say we've taken a deep dive into theology, just looking at several incredible truths about God and the gospel, looking at God's will and God's choosing nature and predestination and election. And last week we also looked at the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, just some really deep complex things that drove Paul to then praise the Lord. Paul's praise in verses 3 to 14 were driven by incredible truths about God and not necessarily how he felt or his external circumstances. Because remember, Paul, he's in prison, and he's probably not in the best situation. Looking at his circumstances, looking at Paul's circumstances, uh, we wouldn't look at them and think, you know, Paul, he's got the good life. But yet these deep truths about God have led Paul to praise and thanksgiving. And in our text today, Paul is praying that these deep truths would then infiltrate the hearts and lives of the people he's writing to, which also include us here today. And something I just want to point out that we saw last week that is really important to all of this. You know, last week in verse 11, uh, we saw that it said, Those that are in Christ are predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. That's what Ephesians 1 says. And we're not going to go into all uh, the depths of that again. That was last week. But what we must see and understand is that the way in which God works through the Holy Spirit in relation with us is through prayer. Like There are a lot of complexities when we dive into the extent of God's power in our lives in relation to our own human responsibility. But what we must see and understand is that when we pray, we're affirming to God that he is God and we are not. That he's got all the power and we don't. When a person prays in desperation, that is when they're really hoping and believing all the truths that we've talked about in the past several weeks. That God is over all things and in all things, that God is not absent, but he's present, and he's powerfully working in his creation. Like when we pray for sick and for healing and for God to save someone and for God to move among us, we're affirming the sovereign hand of God. We're affirming God's power and our dependence, which is exactly what Paul is praying as a response. In fact, when we don't pray, I think it's fair to say that we're innately saying, hey God, I got this. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need you. Y'all, prayer, it's an act of worship to the Lord. And when we have a high view of God and his power and his care, we then pray. Again, all that we've seen so far in the deep end of theology in Ephesians chapter 1, it has moved Paul to pray. And so let's go ahead and read the next couple verses, verses 15 to 19. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the, what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might. So there's a lot here, okay? And we're going to spend the rest of our time breaking this down, but it all fa- falls under the umbrella of what Paul is praying for because we see in verse 16, Paul says, remembering you all in my prayers. And then he follows it with everything that he's praying for. And really everything that follows verse 16 is Paul praying for, he's praying for illumination and kind of a, like a deeper understanding of God and the gospel uh, that it would work down into their hearts. You know, at the beginning of verse 16, we see that Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so in, in many ways, Paul is showing us he prays with thanksgiving. And so uh, in these verses, he's modeling for us how we can pray. The, and so, These are almost like Paul's prayer points, and so this, which is going to be our outline for today. We pray for thankfulness for the church, number one. We pray for a deeper understanding of God. And then number three, we pray for a deeper understanding of the gospel. And what Paul is showing us in our five verses today, and in our last, uh, you know, and, and then in our last point, we're going to have actually three sub, quick sub points. But again, Paul has moved from praise to prayer, praying that we wouldn't just know these truths intellectually, but that our, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, as he says in verse 18. And before we jump into this text, I just, I want you to just think about the importance of prayer, more from a relational level. You know, we've talked about a few reasons of why we pray. And how it shows our dependence and need for the Lord. But something else that it does for us is that it, it, it simply keeps us connected to the Lord in a relational way. God created us to know Him and to be in a relationship with Him. God desires to be with us and for us to know Him and to love Him. And the primary way in which God speaks to us is through the Scriptures. is through the Word. So we read the Word. We teach the Word. We study the Word. We meditate on it. Uh, we, and we think deeply about the Word. And this is how God primarily speaks to us. But we all know that relationships are a two-way street. Just imagine, okay, me and my wife uh, had a relationship but there was only a one-way communication. Only one of us talked. Now if I walked into our house, I came and spoke to Kelly and I told her, hey, I love you. Uh, I told her about my day and all the good things, all the bad things, the funny things, the strange things. And then she just looked at me and didn't say a word, just totally silent. It's like, babe, hey, are are you there? Uh, Earth to Kelly, hello. I mean, what if if this wasn't just like a one-time thing, but an everyday thing? I think we can all agree that our relationship would struggle a bit. Again, when we come to God in prayer, it shows our dependence on Him, but it also shows our love for Him. And so if we look at our relationship with the Lord and someone asks, Hey, how is it going? How are your affections for God? And if we said, Well, it's kind of dull. One of the many things that I think we could inspect is our prayer life. Like, are we praying? I mean, just me personally... I can tell when my relationship with the Lord lacks intimacy, and it's oftentimes when my prayer life lacks intimacy. Yes, I can read my Bible and I can say prayers, but when my prayers lack affection and kind of like a raw, reflective honesty, it shows. I mean, just for me personally, one of the single, the single most important spiritual disciplines I have is just a prayer walk. At least weekly and sometimes multiple times a week, I'll just walk and pray and just share my heart with the Lord. I mean, I've found that for me personally, walking and praying, it just helps me to stay focused for longer. And so I walk and, and pray. I share my thoughts, my struggles, my requests, my praises. I mean, just frustrations, all of it. And yes, I have other times, consistent prayer times throughout the week. But for me, my prayer walks have become vital to my spiritual health. It's just a time of raw intimacy with the Lord. And this is how God designed us and wired us. Like we were created to communicate with the Lord. We were created to pray. And again, Paul in our text today gives us a model for what to pray for. Look at verse 15 and 16 again. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So when Paul prays, what does he pray for? He expresses thankfulness for how God is working in and through these churches. It says he has heard of their faith in the Lord and how they love one another, and he's so encouraged by it. And as a response, he praises the Lord in thankfulness, which leads us to our first prayer point. Number one, we pray for thankfulness for the church. And again, when we say church, we're not talking about service or music or preaching or, or the organization. No, we're talking about people. The church is the gathered people of God, the church is the family of people, and Paul goes out of his way to tell the people that he loves that he prays for them and he thanks the Lord for them. It's a prayer of thanksgiving to God. And I love this because what Paul is modeling for us is actively seeking ways in which to be thankful to the Lord. You know, I, I don't know about you, but for me, uh, thankfulness is just not my natural fleshly bent. Okay? It's not. It's just really easy to find things in our life that aren't going well or where we're struggling or the problems in our day. Ten things can go really well, but it's so easy to focus on that one thing that just didn't go well and just kind of dwell on it. And here, Paul is showing us and reminding us to give thanks, to express thankfulness for the people that God has put in our life. Paul said, I do not cease to give thanks for you in verse 16. He doesn't stop thanking the Lord for them. New City, this is such a good discipline to work into our prayer life, to regularly thank the Lord for the people in our life. There's just something that happens through the work of the Spirit when we don't first grumble and complain, but rather give thanks and express thankfulness. Having a spirit of grumbling and complaining, it will totally steal our joy. It will affect our relationship. It affects the the people around us. It robs our joy and contentment. And Paul is saying in modeling for us, when he thinks of these churches, he sees how God is working in them and he gives thanks. And no, it's not because they were a perfect church and he got along well with everyone, which uh, which he very well could have. And no, we don't see Paul giving thanks for them because he connected with them and because they understood him or because they had similar interests. No, Paul said he was thankful for how they loved Jesus and how they loved others. We see in verse 15, right, that he gives thanks to them because as Paul said, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. You guys awake? Praise the Lord. All right. What Paul thanked God for was their faith in Jesus and how God was like showing love through them. And what I find interesting is that Paul said the exact same thing to the Corinthian church that uh, like the the Corinthian church, which I don't know if you remember the Corinthian church. um, They had, they gave Paul several heartaches. In 1 Corinthians 1, 4, Paul said, I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to express his thankfulness. Like he starts with thankfulness. And then, Paul then urges, goes on and urges them to agree. He addresses the Corinthian church with all of the mess that they have in their church. But he still says he prays and gives thanks to them. And why? Well, because of how God was working in their life. You know, I, know, I, have, I might not, may not know all of what's going on in your life. I may not know all the struggles and challenges and setbacks you're facing, but I know this, when we come to the Lord, first with thanksgiving, praising and thanking the Lord for how he is working the lives of other people, it very quickly takes our eyes and focus off of ourself and it places it on the goodness of God and on others around us. I mean, if you want to know the secret to an unhappy life, just focus all of your attention on yourself. And please hear me, okay? I'm not saying we totally ignore ourselves. I'm not saying that at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the order of our, att- our attention and our prayers, it is so important. We first thank God for God. We bless the Lord. We secondly thank God for others and how God is working in their life and then thirdly, we pray and make intercession uh, to God for how God like to make requests to the Lord. But if we forget those first two, We have missed a major blessing in our life. Uh, Like joy and thankfulness. They're not at odds with sadness and disappointment. They they don't compete with each other. No, they complement each other. The Christian life, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, is sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Yes, things around us are hard and challenging. The world is broken. Sin is real. Suffering exists. We as followers of Jesus, we absolutely do not purse, uh, skirt past the hard things in life. And yes, sometimes the best and most healing thing we can do is cry and grieve. And it is good and right for us to do this. But we, know, we must know and remember, God does not keep us there. Yes, He stays with us. He sits with us. He cries with us. He does not rush us along But yet, because of Jesus and the victory that is found at the cross and how God is always working around us and in us, we still always, always, always have a reason to rejoice. When I just stop and think about how God is working in so many of your lives, just seeing you each grow in holiness, seeing how God is redeeming and restoring so many of your lives and using so many of you to build God's kingdom, and when I see so many of you use your gifts to create community and to care for one another and to encourage one another and to pray for one another and how God is calling so many of you into vocational ministry and to cross-cultural missions and to reach your neighbor or coworker or friend with the gospel, it is just unreal. The amount of people that, that we have serving and consistently praying and giving and just totally sold out for the Lord and our church, it just truly blows me away in thankfulness for how God is working. It's incredibly humbling. New City, I'm not asking you to pray and thank the Lord for our church because we think we're awesome. No, I'm asking you to pray and thank the Lord for the people in our church and how God is working through so many of you because the scriptures today, they call us to do it. I mean, I can think of several things that would strengthen weary souls, but a prayer of thanksgiving, I am certain, is at the top of that list. May we pray and simply just thank the Lord for his goodness to us and how he's working in us. But I want to keep reading to see how else we can pray. Let's look at verse 16 again to get a kind of a running start, but we're going to focus on verse 17 and 18. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So Paul is praying that God would give them The spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And then, as he says in verse 18, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened. So Paul is praying that we would grow in wisdom. He says there's a spirit of wisdom. This is the wisdom that comes from God. Paul prays for a spirit of revelation, almost kind of like a divine understanding that God would open up their eyes to understand and see who God is. And so he prays for wisdom and revelation to know God, that they would grow in their knowledge of God. And then he says, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened. So he makes a distinction between head knowledge and heart knowledge. They wouldn't just know the facts of God, but rather they would know the sweetness and intimacy of God. So just imagine, okay, your heart and your soul, your inner being with eyes to see. Like your heart with two little eyeballs on it, okay? I know we're coming up to Valentine's Day, so just think about, think about this with me. That's kind of what Paul's getting at here. And I think what may help us like think about our hearts having eyes is thinking about our own physical eyes. I think we can understand this because we all understand how important our physical eyes are. Like when I walk into a bedroom late at night I can, I, and I can't see things and I bang my knee or step on Legos. Like, I think we learned how real quick how important our eyes are. Seeing, physically seeing. And Paul is saying that our hearts and souls have eyes. And so when our hearts and souls can't see, the Bible calls this spiritual blindness. Just like our physical eyes help steer and direct our lives, we live by what our eyes can see. And the same thing is true with our hearts and souls. And if you're here today and you're not following Jesus or you're struggling to see the beauty of God, I pray just as Paul prays that our hearts would have eyes to see God for who he is. That God would open up our spirit, your spiritual eyes to see the goodness of God. Yes, our physical eyes are important, but the eyes of our heart are way more important. Y'all, it is better for us to have hearts that can see than eyes that can see. Being spiritually blind to the beauty of God is far worse than being physically blind. And I pray that today we would have eyes to see Jesus and his beauty. Like Paul is praying that our hearts could see so that we would have a deeper knowledge and intimacy with the Lord. And, and I think we get this because it's one thing for me to know several facts about my wife and kids, but it's a totally different thing to truly know them as their father and, their, uh, and, her, and, and husband who love them. To know exactly what excites my kids. To know exactly what angers them. To know what makes their hearts light up. And to understand their needs and wants. And again, this is what Paul is praying for these churches. To have the eyes of their hearts enlightened to the greatness of God. That their hearts would see in an affectionate way the goodness and kindness of God in a much deeper way. Because yes, there is absolutely an affection There is an emotional response to the Lord. There's a heartfelt relationship with God because, again, God didn't create us to be robots, pre-programming us to love Him. No, God chose us so that we could love Him in response. God desires for our hearts and our affections and our soul to see the goodness of God. But we must ask, what are these emotions and affections and intimacy? What is it driven by? And Paul shows us, we see that the eyes of our hearts are enlightened through what we then see in verse 17 which is the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of God and this is really important okay our theology and knowledge of God is what drives our affection for the Lord not the other way around our affections and emotions cannot drive the way we view God and who he is The order of this is very important. We don't throw affections, we don't throw emotions out the window. God created them and they're for our good. He wants our affections. Paul prays for our hearts to see in our text. But our understanding of God and who he is as he shows himself in the word must be what drives these affections. And if you're confused by any of this, hopefully our second prayer point will help. Number two, we pray for a deeper understanding of God. So before Paul prays for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened, like we saw in verse 17, he prays that we would know God. Again, we're not talking about just the facts of God. No, we're talking about the truth of God and his character and who he is, which then drives our affection in our life. God's truth drives our intimacy with the Lord. Well, we love the Bible. We teach the word. We study it. Everything we do here at New City is totally centered around the Word of God, but we don't do this for the purpose of just being really smart Bible people who can win theological debates. No, we seek to know God, and we teach the Word, and we take deep dives into complex things of God, just like we've done over the past few weeks, but it's for the purpose of intensifying our worship. We do this to grow our affections for the Lord. Because as we grow in our understanding of God and how he reveals himself through the word of God, the end goal is worship and praise. It's for a deeper affection of God. It's so that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to see. It's so our hearts can see the, the goodness of God, like truly see it. And Paul says he's praying this for these churches. He's praying that God would give them wisdom and understanding of God. You all know, when we pray and ask God to help give us wisdom and understanding, we're yet again acknowledging our need for dependence and our need for help. Every time we come to the Word, every time we teach the Word or walk through the Word with others in discipleship, we need to pray and ask God for help. We pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, as Paul says, that would then lead us to worship. Just as Paul prays this for the churches at Ephesus, we pray the same prayer for each other. That we would be a church and a people that is just hungry for the word. We pray that we would be hungry to know God deeper and more fully. You know, we want to we be eager to feed one another the truths of God and get into the word. You know, God's word. This is one of the single greatest gifts God has given us so that we would devour it and long for it in our lives. Like day in and day out, we have a feast of scripture to come to. God has given us his word to feed our hearts and weary souls that then lead us to worship. This is Paul's prayer, and this is also our prayer. And you know what happens when we do this? We're led back to the first point. We're moved to thankfulness, and we pray with thanksgiving. We're moved to joy in the Lord. But then lastly, as we get to the last verse, Paul takes this a step further and gets more specific. Look at verse 18 and 19. Get to our last point. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the work of His great might. You know, as we just saw in our last point, we need to pray and ask God for understanding. Praying that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. And then He says, so that, and then He gives three different responses to what happens. But these three things, as we'll see, they all fall under the umbrella of the gospel, leading us to number three. We pray for a deeper understanding of the gospel. Y'all, this could be a whole sermon uh, with with just how rich this is. But because we've already touched on all of this, uh, much of this in previous sermons, we're just going to look at it at a high level and, and, and look at the emphasis of what to pray for. Because Paul has been praying for a deeper understanding of God, and now he's getting more specific. He's now praying for a deeper understanding of several gospel truths. And these three different aspects of the gospel will be our 3 subpoints in this last point. Uh, gospel hope, gospel inheritance, and gospel power. So in verse 18, Paul says, That you may know the hope to which he has called you. Sing our gospel hope. Verse 18, the same verse, he says uh, a continuation. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance, seeing gospel inheritance? And then in verse 19, he continues his list and says, what are the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, seeing our gospel power? So gospel hope, gospel inheritance, and gospel power. These are incredible truths to cling to and to pray for, for others and also for ourselves. We want to pray that our hearts would truly have eyes to see these. Like, we, we want to pray for, like, we have, we have hope. We have an inheritance. We have power. We're not powerless. And Paul is praying that these churches wouldn't just intellectually be able to describe these things, but that their hearts would truly see it and know it in a really personal and an intimate way. That it would change them from the inside out. And so let's look briefly at, at gospel hope. You know, and I, I think we understand it's one thing to know our future hope, but it's a totally different thing to be spurred on and to be strengthened and to find endurance because of our hope. So much so that it totally alters our lives because our hearts have eyes to see it. You know, when we think of hope, we just, we think of a better future. Like there's a longing for a better tomorrow, coupled with some degree of possibility that it could actually happen. I don't know if you, if you knew this, but this past week, LeBron James just passed Wilt Chamberlain as the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. And in the game that he did it, it was a home game. He needed to, uh, to score 36 points to break the record. And so you can kind of imagine the anticipation of this game. And based off of the hope that he may pass it, people were willing to pay over $100,000 for a ticket to this game. Ticketmaster had one ticket listed for $181,000. And so was this ticket based on certainty? No. It was based on hope. And guess what? People paid for it. Their hope that he would break the record altered their life in a very significant way. And so New City, as our, ho- our hope as Christians is for a better tomorrow is eternally better and more certain. We have hope that God, He's, re- He's a redeeming God, that God can bring healing even in our fallen world where it might not be f- perfect. We can still have hope knowing that God is able to sustain us for today according to His plan and purpose. But even more so, we have hope that one day all things will be made totally new. And that's the day that we long for. And when we ever doubt, or when we're struggling to find hope, or maybe when we're afraid to have hope because we just don't want to be let down again. Like when we intellectually know the concept of hope, but yet our hearts just don't see it. What do we do? We look back to the cross. We look back to the empty tomb. We look back in our own life and look to see how God has been faithful in the past when it seemed like hope was lost. Y'all, if Jesus didn't leave the cross, we can be confident that he won't leave us now. Stay, Jesus stayed on the cross, and he will also stay with us today. He paid for our sins past, present, and future at the cross. He forgave us at the cross. He called us his children at the cross. Even when we we're covered in our filth of our sin, he looked at us in the filth and said, I love you. You're mine. I choose you. Church, this is our gospel hope that we pray for, that we would truly see it, that the eyes of our hearts would see it and know it. Y'all, we pray that this hope would drive us past the fears and letdowns of this life and spur us on to worship the Lord. When our hearts can see this hope and we're moved to thankfulness in our hearts and fear and worry and well, the weariness and bitterness, it just gets smothered by our worship. When we remember who God is that He displayed Himself at the cross, we're remembered to pray for, as Paul prays, that we would truly see and understand our gospel inheritance. Our gospel inheritance, it reminds us that we have a really big God, that He holds the whole world in His hands, and He tells us, fear not, for I am with you. Our gospel inheritance comes with God our Father, God our Creator, Jesus our Savior, and the Spirit our Helper. Our gospel inheritance, as we've seen so far, tells us that He has given us hope. He's given us a plan and a purpose, and He's working all things out according to the counsel of His will. And when we come to roadblocks or setbacks or struggles or some sort of suffering that the pain of this broken world brings, when the eyes of our hearts can see our gospel inheritance, when we truly know and understand the riches that we have in Christ in a deep and personal and intimate way, we can say, as Paul says in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the, the sufferings in this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Y'all, Paul knows that an inheritance is waiting for him. And he is praying for these churches and now us, that we would truly see it and know it, that we would grasp it and cherish it. But do you know what's interesting about this language, about this language of inheritance in our verse today? You know, back in verse 11 and, uh, 11 and 14 of Ephesians 1 that we looked at last week, Paul was talking about our inheritance, saying we have obtained an inheritance. God is our inheritance But here in verse 18, he's talking about God's inheritance. He said, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Do you know what Paul is praying? He's praying that we would see the riches of God's inheritance. This is not our inheritance, but God's inheritance. And what is God's glorious inheritance? Well, Paul says it's the saints. It's his people. It's the church. Those who call Jesus Lord. So get this, yes, we have an inheritance that is God-like we've talked about, but here we see that we are God's inheritance. And Paul says it's a glorious inheritance for God. So church, get this, God looks at us because of Jesus, because of our forgiveness found at the cross, and God says, I can't wait to have you with me forever. Paul is saying, if we are in Christ, we are God's delight and gift to Him. Like, we're, we're God's inheritance. In, like, in Christ, we're His sons and daughters. Of course, he's excited about this. But do you know what Paul is praying more specifically? Like, pr- he's praying? What does he say? It's kind of a continuation from fully knowing with the eyes of our heart. And he's praying that we would know what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Like, God already knows about His inheritance, that is the church, And he's excited about to to be with his people forever, or totally redeemed people. But Paul is praying that we would know about the riches of God's inheritance. He's praying that we would know of the riches of your brother and sister in Christ. Paul is praying that we would know of the riches of God's inheritance from those that we worship beside. And live with and work with. I mean, can you just imagine with me? Just the incredible re- redemptive nature of seeing those that we're at odds with, those that proclaim Jesus. Just imagine thinking in the heat of the moment when we're maybe angry or frustrated, or, or maybe even betrayed, maybe bitter or heartbroken or annoyed, whatever it is. And this is your brother or sister in Christ. Just imagine God just kind of whispering into your ears saying, They're my glorious inheritance, these are my children. Do you see the riches in them that I see? Can you forgive them the way that I forgave them? I'm thankful for them. Does your heart have the eyes to see this? Church, God has forgiven us, wiped our slate clean by the blood of the cross, and given us new life, and he has deemed us as his glorious inheritance. And Paul is praying that our hearts would see this, that our hearts would see the preciousness of the church and move to thanksgiving and worship. And when that happens, I can't help but think that this is evidence of, our, of gospel power. We pray that we would truly understand in our hearts our gospel power. Just like we talked about last week. The Holy Spirit has equipped us with power. It's living in us. It's our power that God gives us to change. And Paul is simply praying that the eyes of the hearts would see this power. That we would not just be able to describe it from a textual standpoint, but that we would truly believe it and understand it. Well, it's one thing to be able to like describe and explain at some degree the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe, as verse 19 says, which that's just a bit ironic trying to explain something that's immeasurable. Like God's so great and his power is so great that it can't be measured by any human understanding. And yet by his spirit, God, God has given us this immeasurable power. Like it's one thing to be able to try to explain this, but it's a totally different thing for our hearts to believe it and trust it and be transformed by it. You know, my hope and prayer for our church is that this truth of God's power that is given to us by God, I pray that our church would be known for having our hearts that see it, know it, and trust it. That we would live our lives empowered by it. That when people from the outside come in, just, they would just think there's something different about these people. Like, they, they actually believe in the resurrection power of God. Like, they're, they're willing to take risk for the Lord. They're, we're willing to sell everything for the Lord because believe so deeply, uh, willing to forsake things of the world and live on fire for Jesus because just believing, like, really believing with hearts that see it. This power and hope, this inheritance, like, it changes us. This is Paul's prayer for the church in New City. This is our prayer for our church. I mean, just just imagine with me, as we close our time. If if Paul's prayer that we've seen today just became our everyday reality, that every day the eyes of our hearts truly believe these things, can you just imagine the thankfulness for others that are surrounded to the same thing? I mean, can you just imagine how much we would long for the world and the uh, word and the truths of God's word, uh, and just be satisfied by the word as it shows us Jesus. Just imagine with me how different our lives would be. The relationships, how much restoration and peace we'd have, our marriages, friendships, all of it. Just imagine the joy and contentment and missional fruit we'd see. And I think it makes sense why Paul is praying this and why we should pray this because this is not some idealistic thing. This is not something that we have to simply imagine. Like this is attainable. This is our gospel reality that we get to live into every day. This is not some far off thing. No, this is what the Spirit does in us. This thankfulness, this understanding of God, this hope, this inheritance, this power, God simply says to all of us, come to me and find rest. This is what I have for you. No, I don't know where you are today, but if you don't know Jesus, I want, you to, I want to call you to trust him today. Give your life to him. Surrender your life to him. Right now, you know what? The same is true for those who have given their life to Jesus. Because yet again today, Jesus just simply says to us, just come to me and find rest. Come and see my goodness. Come and just remember the hope that you have. Come and just remember that you're a child of God, that I love you, that God's helping us. Come and remember the immeasurable power that God has given us. God just says to us, here, it's, it's here. Take it. Be satisfied with it yet again today. Church, this is God's prayer. This is our prayer. That our hearts would just simply truly see the goodness of God. Let's pray. God, we love you. We need you. We need your goodness in our life. We pray that we would have hearts, that our eye, the eyes of our hearts would see this that we would have hearts that see the goodness of God. God, we're we're praying that the truths that we know about God would, would lead us to then worship God. God, we ask for your help. We ask this all in Jesus' name.